Heads up. This episode, John and Tyler take a bite out of albino Twi'leks, Ultimate Warrior Aliens, and 80s Perms as we chow down on Here's Why It's Great. Hello, folks, and welcome to Here's Why It's Great, the podcast where we take what you hate and tell you why it is great. I'm your host, John Bring, and we have a special guest for you again this week. He is a good friend of mine and the husband of a former guest. That's right. He's the husband of Lauren Kitsune, who talked to us about the Twilight series. Welcome, everybody. Tyler. My name should be Tom, if I'm affiliated <laughs> with Lauren's Yes. Twilight. Well, you know, I call everybody Tom. You know how it goes. Mm-hmm. I'm today's Tom Sawyer. What? <laughs> how so, exactly? I don't know. Just like Rush. Oh, okay. It's an 86-minute movie we have to fill. Yeah, we do. We do. Uh, that 86-minute movie we're talking about, of course, is Critters. It is a horror movie classic from 1986. Mm-hmm. And one of your favorite movies? One of, if not... Yeah, it's one of. I wouldn't say it's one of my top three. I wouldn't put it above, like, Hamlet. Although, it, technically, the DVDs, all four of them, were above my Hamlet DVD. Really, really? Which Hamlet? The Kenneth Branagh? Yeah, the, oh. the four hours of Kenneth Branagh glory. Right, right, right. That ridiculousness. Uh, yeah, Tyler, you and I have always really had an appreciation for the Critters movies. Mm-hmm. I'm always into, like, creature features. I love old practical effects, obviously. I love, like, the ghoulies. I love Critters. I love Gremlins. Gremlins 2, The New Batch, one of my favorite movies of all time. You also like Rumpelstiltskin. I, I do. <laughs> don't, don't hide that one. I, I love Rumpelstiltskin. I'm, I, you know, oddly, not a huge fan of the Leprechaun movies. Like, Lep in the Hood, in theory, is a good movie. Just because it is Lep in the Hood and he raps in the movie. Even though that movie came after Lep went into space, which usually marks the end of any horror oh. movie franchise you have to go into space once you go to the hood uh did critters ever go to the hood i know they Uh, went to space in in critters three with uh leo his first beautiful screen appearance uh leonardo dicaprio he goes to um, they go to the city they don't call it the hood or anything but it is like but it is like the project it's low-income housing yeah it's low-income housing it's like a one big one big building keeping it to the one location i i I want to say it is los angeles i don't know if they specifically name it but they 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 leave kansas and go to the big city Mm, yeah and and like what kind of fun could they have in the big city oh my god like we're gonna set the critters loose on los angeles this is gonna be crazy nope just one building they stick them to a four-story apartment complex well hey man that's the critters baby it's all about keeping it small keeping it contained except for critters 2 the main Main course course. sorry all my horror movie subtitles kind of get mixed up in my mind uh so yeah critters to the main course where three doesn't have a subtitle you would call it the aperitif uh, (laughs) critters four is the um the the molly grubs when you wake up the next morning go oh i've had too much to eat well what would you call the new movies because they just released a tv show on shutter and then they're doing a new movie on sci-fi the new the tv show the web series I went, it's not a show. It's like what you said it was eight minutes, 11 minutes. Yeah, I looked. At, I actually ended up not watching any of them because I stayed up very late watching this. But there is a new show on uh, the horror movie streaming service named Shudder. It's called Critters, The New Binge. And I thought it was going to be like an hour-long show. I thought it was going to be maybe six to eight episodes, 45 minutes long. So I was like, ah, I can't watch that whole thing. Maybe I'll watch like a few minutes of the first episode. Nope, those episodes are eight to 11 minutes long. So I'm shocked that I did not 
end up at least watching one of them, but eight minutes long for an episode of yeah. television? What I the hell is that up? I saw the trailer for it, and I was like, ooh, this is going to be a, like a massive, like broad thing with all these set pieces, and it looked very well, like good production. I mean, it's WB, their blue ribbon thing, and when you said it was eight minutes, like they wasted a lot of money for just a short yeah. amount of, or they're like, we couldn't afford anything over 10 minutes, so... Here's your budget. Just yeah. blow it now. Well, when I calculated all of the uh, run times of every episode all put together, it comes up to 74 minutes, which isn't quite a feature. I mean, it technically is a feature, but it's like right on the edge of being a, a feature film. So maybe they made a movie and then decided to split it up into episodes. Who knows? And Shutter, by the way, is a pretty fledgling operation, so I didn't expect them to have some massively budgeted critters thing but uh, besides the practical effects i don't really think the critters need to be massively budgeted yeah i mean you can see in this like in the critters one that had a budget of two million they used a lot of like practical effects which saved them time even like new line they probably stole some aliens from the beginning for some of the production stuff like oh we have to fill in like the universe at the very beginning of this even critters 2 there's like a whole bunch of just random prop heads from other movies probably right so they're just like we just they just pick and choose but folks for anybody who doesn't know what critters is this was in the height of basically creature mania back in the 80s like i said there was gremlins there was the ghoulies this seems like a low budget response to some of those movies and it really captured the magic of that indie spirit. Mm-hmm. It's about a group of little alien dudes that are about, I don't know, what, five inches, six inches tall? Yeah. At oh, least yeah. at the beginning. And they are hungry. And they are space aliens that are being taken to basically maximum security prison. They break loose somehow and they go to earth and start eating everything in sight and a couple of bounty hunters aliens as well are after them the entire movie and it's a movie about the plight of this family the critters converge on this one farm and it's this family fighting for their lives trying to survive this critter onslaught oh they're called krites by the way not critters the the alien race is yeah oh it's with a k oh i thought it was with a c the the cool th- the thing that i like about the the monsters themselves not only is it a really fun design and very unusual mm-hmm. uh they got many rows of teeth glowing red eyes mm-hmm. they're very small so i like the way they look i also like that they're intelligent yeah i was i have like notes about like moments where they can fly a plane they have like they plan some kind of breakout they, they don't spend much time on that no they like know where to you know cut the power cables they have a language of their own most times when you see like an alien invasion it's like oh the ship has crashed or they've lost the navigation they don't know how to pilot or like mishaps this is like they say at the beginning they have enough fuel but they just might be hungry so they they land on that they land on their own they decide they make conscious decisions to just fuck up shit yeah and it, the gremlins it, compared to gremlins, it's like the gremlins are based on their source material of the gremlins that would ruin planes over World War II. They, what caused that mischief? Oh, it was a gremlin. Critters are just like, they're hungry, but they're also, you know... Assholes? They're assholes, <laughs> and they are just, they're yeah, fugitives. That's yeah, they're fugitives. Uh, no, I love all of the above. I love the fact that, yes, they stole a ship. They fly it to Earth. They decide to land they're like mm, yeah this this will work we're hungry uh basically just like pulling through a window for takeout mm-hmm. essentially and and yeah once the action actually starts the fact that the the surprising thing that i'd forgotten was the fact that they cut the phone line and cut the power mm-hmm. of the house 
And anytime that the critters are talking to each other, it's always subtitled. And it is hilarious every time. And there's also a moment at the very, very end of the movie where they're just assholes for no reason. That is so great. Yes. It made the entire movie for me. But this is a, uh, a classic. My dad rented this for me. He was really into like puppetry and effects and stuff, I think. He never like expressed an interest in it. But the movies I remember him renting were like Little Shop of Horrors and this and Gremlins. So... Uh, he was really into those creatures as well. He knew I was into it. And I've, you know, talked ad nauseum about my love of practical effects on the show, so I won't go into that more. But I just love how real everything is. This was a movie that scared the shit out of me as a kid. What about you? I think my first um, introduction to it, it did scare me. It's one of those things where my parents were like, yeah, it's, it looks cute. It's not like Freddy or Jason where they'll give you nightmares. So it's like, we can watch that. It's not going to scare him as much. My biggest, like, when my mind blew with it, though, was when I saw that it was in another movie as a reference. Oh, right. Yes. And that was, like, the biggest, like, pop as a child was when I saw the Critters thing in Ninja Turtles from 1990. And oh, hell yeah. walking out going, where did they come up with this Where did they come up with this stuff? I uh, totally agree. I had, as a kid, uh, going to see... Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and seeing the Critters sign in there, I was like, hey, I know that movie. I was like a baby Steve Rogers going, I get that reference. (laughs) Exactly. Same here. And uh, now we obviously know that both were produced by New Line Cinema, so there's the connection there. And also, Raphael talking shit about it is just hilarious anyway. I I was doing research. The um, books they wrote for the Ninja Turtles movie had him seeing E.T., and then another source, like a comic, had him seeing somewhere like Space Ninja movie. They never like keep it like consistent with um, being critters. I guess it was just like because it was New Line, they yeah. wanted it to be in the movie. Like they that. wanted to get a little bit more money into that critters bank. But it's weird. Like one a.m. in New York, he goes to see critters in a CD. Yeah, I guess. I mean, what it came out in nineteen ninety, so critters was what five years, old? four or five yeah. years. So it's like nobody's going to be in that, that is, theater. That is a second-run theater. That's like a 12th-run theater. I'm surprised that it was still playing, you know? Well, Critters 2 was out for a year. I don't know why you didn't go see that. Well, nobody saw that. Anymore. Nobody saw Critters 2. Yeah, um, Critters 2 did come out in the theater, though, at least, right? Yeah, it came out in, I think, two years later or three years later, but it made nothing. Yeah, I'm, I'm surprised it wasn't Critters 2 mm-hmm. that was on the marquee, so at least I could get a, a newer release in there, but... Everybody knows Critters. I think it was a pretty popular movie. It, it didn't exactly set the box office on fire, but it made its money back no, it, and then some. It had a good cast. The writer has always been Dominic Muir, or I don't know how to pronounce it, Murr. No, I, said Muir. That, he always said that um, he wrote it several years before Gremlins. He just never had anybody to help him make it. Right. So he met the director when he was editing another movie. And they was like, he was like, I got the scripts. You know what? Sure. I, the director's like, I've never made a mo- like a full movie. I can use this as my own. And they got a great cast. So. Oh yeah. Well, hold on. Before we jump into that, can we talk about this director for a second? Yeah. Holy shit! This guy, Stephen Herrick, off the top of my head, had no idea who he was. You mentioned him last night. We were talking, and you were like, Oh yeah, he did some other movies. I was like, Really? I just expected it to be like a retired as champion situation. This guy is the champion, but he's certainly not retired. I mean, these days he's doing more uh, TV stuff. He's a producing director on MacGyver. He does the uh, Dolly Parton coat of, or blank of many colors movies, that franchise. I'll uh, said <laughs> during Christmas time, coat of many colors and Christmas of many colors. Uh, she plugged the heck out of that when we went when we saw her at concert. Oh, we did. Uh, Tyler, Lindsay, and I all went to go see Dolly Parton at the Hollywood Bowl a couple years ago, and man, she did not stop. Like between almost every 
song. It was like, now you don't forget to watch Code of Many Colors coming on your TV screens. Uh, that being said, Dolly Parton is a joy. She's a national treasure and, and one of the funnest experiences at a concert I've ever had. She is in this movie. She is. I know. I, I noticed that there's like a tiny Dolly reference. We'll get to that later. But I was like, yes, this guy must love Dolly. But back to Stephen Herrick. So this was his first feature film. Talk about coming out the gate mm-hmm. swinging. This movie is awesome. But what did he follow this up with, Tyler? He followed it up with Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Fuck yes. He goes straight into that. He also did um, Three Musketeers, the, the Charlie, Charlie Sheen, uh, uh, Kiefer Sutherland. Um, Oliver Platt? Yeah. Wasn't Oliver. he? That was always the weird one to me. Like, uh, Oliver Platt's had a weird career, and I know you want to talk about another movie he's in. But yeah, you got like Kiefer Sutherland, young, hot actor. Charlie Sheen, at the time, before he went crazy, young, hot actor. Uh, second generation superstar. Uh, you had Chris O'Donnell in the movie. He was also hot and young. Oh, so yeah. you got those are your musketeers, and then Oliver Platt, who's just sort of like I mean, no offense, I'm not trying to fat shame the guy, but kind of just like he's not young and he's not hot. And it's weird that that movie came out in the mid early '90s, and he was still fat shamed and not hot in and ready to for the rumble. When he was I'm setting up the Tyler podcast universe. Here. Right. <laughs> right. And then, yeah, a few years later, like shit, like what, four years later, he was in the WCW world championship wrestling film, ready to rumble starring David Arquette and WCW Scott WCW world champion, David Arquette. Yeah. Yeah. We've talked about that, but on the show before too, David Arquette. Yeah. Once was world champion of WCW, which is so weird. He's still wrestling today. Mm-hmm. He looks amazing by the way. He's, like, covered in tats in incredible shape. Like, he wears wrestling trunks like any independent wrestler. Like, you would mistake him for somebody who's been on the indies for 100 years because he looks amazing. I thought Scott Kahn would be a better wrestler because David Arquette did not have the the frame. Dewey, yeah. Dewey does not look like a, a wrestler. No, he doesn't. But you know what? He's, he's worked with it. But Oliver Platt was in that playing the champion of WCW, and he was, like, definitely a lot older and a lot pudgier and that but he's going up against he's paired in the movie with real wrestlers who are obviously in amazing shape and it's like this why would you cast oliver platt of all people to play that part so anyhow oliver platt weird career in addition to this movie and bill and ted's excellent adventure and obviously the three musketeers what else did this guy do? Fucking Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead. One of my favorite movies. He's worked with a lot of great people. Like you said, the Three Musketeers cast was like even like with Tim Curry. Oliver oh right, Platt, everybody. Um, Mr. Holland's Opus, like Richard Dreyfuss, and uh, Rockstar. Like it was produced by Clooney. You got Jennifer Aniston and Mark Wahlberg. This guy's worked with a lot of talent over yeah. the years. Even in this movie, um, in, in Critters, he worked with uh, Dee Wallace, who just got through doing ET with with Spielberg, and then yeah. she comes to do this. Movie. Well, I wouldn't say she just got done. It was well, like no. several years later, right. but but she was still riding high from that ET shine. Just a couple more notes about uh, Stephen Herrick. Uh, he also did 101 Dalmatians, the Glen Close, before Disney decided to turn every one of their properties yeah. into a uh, live action film. Uh, and then the Mighty Ducks. Like this guy was like a powerhouse director. He's, he's worked with the children of Martin Sheen. Oh, that's true. Emilio yeah, both. And Charlie. Yeah, exactly. Emilio, Charlie got it covered. But he so, never does sequels. What's that? He's never done the sequel. No, he didn't do that. He didn't do 102 Dalmatians. He, didn't do he just bogus. he just made his yeah. He didn't do bogus. exactly. This guy was a franchise machine. Didn't do any of the other Critters movies. He had the golden touch of this time, and uh, he's still working. Mm-hmm. Like I said, he's still doing uh, producing director. That, I feel like that happens with a lot of specifically older white men that 
are big and features in the 80s and then they transition to TV. They become big TV directors uh, or like overseeing producers. I know John Badham who directed Short Circuit. He directed War Games. He directed a bunch on Supernatural and pretty much every episode he did was fantastic. So uh, so that's what he's doing, uh, what Stephen Herrick is doing right now. He's doing uh, MacGyver. Not exactly like the most prestigious project, but... He's, he's made his bank. He's made his... Exactly. His name. He's still probably making a lot of money, doing his thing, still producing probably good, solid work. So good for him. And then, as you said, this is written by Dominic Muir, co-written by Dominic Muir. I think he came up with the original idea, seemed like, wrote mm-hmm. a script, and then Stephen Herrick came in and helped co-write it with him. And then the um, actor, Charlie, who was in the, the movie that the, the, the Dominic Muir edited before. Oh, um, was that Android? City Limits. And Dominic Keith Hopper, whatever, he did some scenes here and there to touch up on, and then he ended up doing most of the writing for the rest of the movies. Which is so weird which, to me that he's he, also in, yeah. Uh, he is the tie that binds all these movies together, pretty much. All four of the original Critters masterworks uh, is Don Opper uh, both and, writing and acting as Charlie. And you can see that in the second one. There's a lot more like Charlie redemption scenes. <laughs> right, of course. Like, I don't want to go back. I'm a coward and still a, a drunk, even though I haven't been drinking. And like his his scenes are much more like meaty. No pun intended to the fact that they eat raw meat. Right, right, right. But yeah. Well, you know what? If you have the power to write yourself good scenes, then why the hell not, right? But you know, Dominic Muir had the power to write some good stuff. Um, he's also responsible, same same level as Stephen Herrick, of great films such as Unlucky Charms, <laughs> Gingerbread Man, Evil Bong, and of course, Gingerbread Man versus Evil Bong. I looked at his IMD page to try to like IMDb page to try to get more of a sense of like you know this is a great crew. Uh, it's got a great uh, director. The music we'll get to probably has it was good. And let me see what the writer did. And his IMDb came up with posters of like Chinese action movies. I'm like. Mm-hmm. Well, he didn't really take off in the states, did he? No, no. And then I saw, like, looked down there. I saw, yeah, Gingerbread Man versus Evil Ball, and I'm like, this is the mind that the critters came from, of course. Yeah, you got to go back to that idea that this guy is more of the Roger Corman ilk. Mm-hmm. Uh, Stephen Herrick, obviously a legitimate filmmaker, so he, I think, brought some good stuff to this movie. But the basis of it is that it is just a B movie creature feature. So let's just jump into the movie itself. Mm-hmm. So the movie itself obviously starts with the classic New Line Cinema logo, which is like a blippy red digital uh, title that looks like an 8-bit video game. I, I thought I was watching Predator at first. Oh, or Predator. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, which is uh, pretty neat. I mean, I always like it. The only other movie that I can think of off the top of my head that had that specific logo was uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. Uh, and you know it's, it's they're horror movies, so that makes sense. <laughs> the funny thing about this is it's called Critters. You don't know what these things are. If you're just m- going into this movie cold, you think it's a horror movie about a family on a farm terrorized by monsters. But it starts in space on an asteroid that's like a prison colony. Prison asteroid seventeen, and then sector it, seventeen. Yeah, then it has. The, the clanking sound of jail bars at a maximum security. Yes. And it's got a little, uh, basically a lot of exposition in voiceover as we're just zooming in on this slowly rotating thing where we find out what the Krites are. They're being transported. They ate everything in sight. They had to kill two of them. And they're going to the most maximum security part of this prison. I, I thought it was the best piece of exposition because it wasn't too long-winded. It was just like, they're going to prison. We have established that. There were 10 of them. Now there's only eight, so... 
for me, the rest of, every time I watched it, I always try to count how many are left when they kill them. Right. And then it says, oh, there were 10. We had to kill two of them because they eat so much. Oh, now we know that they're vicious, hungry criminals. You don't know what they look like, but I wanted to mention that there's like three different posters for this movie. One of them is um, the family in front of, a, of like the house defending it. and then But the main one with... Hold on. Oh. With the actual critter on it that I'm wearing a shirt that... Yeah. Um, that uh, I believe I gave you, yeah, you did. for uh, your birthday. It has these weird, like, it looks like a walking herp. It's just like <laughs> all these little boils and bumps all over its face, and they don't really look like that at all. Yeah. But my favorite poster, though, is the minimalistic, like, it's just the farmhouse with the two spaceships coming into Kansas. Oh, yeah. But you don't know anything about them. You have this prison, and the prison itself, it sets up, like, they didn't have to spend the, all this budget on all these things, but then you have the the legless Twilight coming in. Yeah, who's just like it's a warden. And they spent all this special effects on a guy who ha- who's got a floating wheelchair and is it looks like a Twilight from Star Wars, and they could have yeah. just done like a like a an human. albino Twilight yeah. or just some prosthetics on a face and a suit. Yeah, I thought the that was surprising because the the effect of him having the floating chair was actually really well done. It reminded me definitely of Professor Xavier in the '90s, his floating chair. But it legitimately looked like this dude did not have any legs. I'm a little bummed because the Krites have their own language, but none of the other space creatures have a separate yeah, language. So you I was, know. And plus, playing like Knights of the Old Republic, whenever I see a Twilight come in, I always expect them to go. Dubba, 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 dubba. <laughs> right. That's the only voice line that guy ever recorded for those that race. <laughs> so every time you go to one on the other planet, well, they have a really simple language. It's like you know, I am Groot esque. But this guy, yeah, they they all just speak English. But I mean, look, you're already like in this horror movie, this like down home like Kansas horror movie, and you're already in a space colony. Yeah. So like, if we threw extra languages at you and 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 pulled a Dawn of the Planet of the Apes where they're like subtitled for the first quarter of the movie, I think people would have been lost. Yeah. So we already have an albino Twilight in a floating chair we also have our two bounty hunters and uh they have like glowy glob heads well then there's start. also like two other creatures that they just show the back of it's like oh we found this um furry monster let's throw him in there to make sure we have a guard and then we have right. another monster in this second with like a weird like long face that kind of reminds me of station from bill and ted's bogus journey actually yes. it was all very darkly lit and that's actually an aesthetic choice that I like about the entire movie. We don't get a good look at the critters themselves until almost an hour in. It's all just the cinematography is very dark and shadowy and moody. And I really thought that was a cool way to start. We can talk about the that movie. Right now. My, the first like full body glimpse you have of a critter is from across a room. The, the yeah. dad is um, he's in the basement and he has a little flashlight and it just it's way out of out of the ordinary. You just see the little blip of a full body of critter with the flashlight and but it's so small but it just blinks and then that's it. it it's right. a nice slow build. You've seen their yeah. eyes at this point. You've seen maybe a, a, you've seen like their hands. Yeah, because we see their hands as they escape the uh, the prison colony and how they how they actually escape we don't know. It doesn't matter. Oh, I have a question for you. Let mm-hmm. me ask you this. So they said they killed two of them, right? They had ten. They had to kill two because they were eating everything. And it sounded like they were going to like the termination chamber or something like that in this prison. Like they were going to be executed. That's what it sounded like to me. Why didn't they just kill the rest of them? All Why the didn't they just kill them yeah, all if they could already kill two? I even wrote that down. Why does he have the bounty hunters go kill them instead of just recapture them? What, right. What's the point? Is there some kind of like space Geneva law? It's like we can't <laughs> actually kill the prisoners. We have to do this. But now that they've escaped, we can just kill so them. So all bets are off. Yeah, yeah I, was, I, I was a little confused by that. But in terms of 
set up for a, a goofy horror movie, like I'm I'm in. I'm fine like, with that. why are we getting this like 15 minutes of Star Wars bullshit before Critters? This is amazing. This is already what makes this movie and sets it above something like uh, Gremlins, which. Sure, we have a Mogwai, we have the store with the ancient Chinese artifacts and stuff, um, but that's still, like, so earthbound. It's yeah. still so, I guess, grounded in a way. And this is, like, epic space opera stuff and to they, start. And they don't even explain where the Mogwai came from. This actually adds, like, a history to the critters. You know that there's a race of them. You know that what they have a past of breaking laws. Space, yeah. Not even just planetary laws, space laws. Oh, space laws. Which critters is, is just like, um, I got a cute guy, I'm not selling him. Just don't feed them. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. They, they explain the rules, but that's it. Yeah. Critters, I, it really sets them up to be badasses, which I'm interested in when the movie first came out, did we expect them to be like huge menacing monsters? I know we see like their hands controlling things and we see they have little hands at the beginning, but are we, being that they do wait for so long to show us anything, did we like, I mean, I'm sure they were in the trailer, but. The trailer is very like heavy up on the comedy they hit all the comedy lines of like churches being run into with cars and uh, like the funny moments just trying Mm -hmm. to build like the 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 gremlins humor of it instead right Um, the dark parts because because gremlins was just a legitimate comedy with a really excellently done monster movie settled in there kind of like ghostbusters actually gremlins may be the only movie besides ghostbusters to perfectly balance comedy and horror this is still a horror comedy, but the the comedy is much more. Like after seeing Critters Two, it is subtle. It is like little moments of when the bounty hunters are on the earth, they drive the car backwards, and then when they get back in the car, the audience expects them to drive backwards, but this time it goes forwards. It's little things, yeah, and like little lines. There are some big laughs. We'll get to with the greatest laugh with the Critters subtitles. Oh, absolutely! Point. But another example of how smart they are. The one critter grows and he's just sitting outside the house waiting for Brad to come by. He's just sitting next to his bike because <laughs> you know it's the only way they can get out is by riding the bike. So he just sits there all cool, like this is your bike, and just knocks it over. Yeah, that was one of my favorite moments. We're jumping a little bit ahead, but I had totally forgotten that the one of the critters grew. It's the only movie they actually grow. Yeah, I was about to say that never happens later because they eventually came up with the critter ball for the second one. One of the most horrifying things of my childhood. You said that your parents didn't think this would give you nightmares. That critter ball absolutely gave me nightmares when it ran over the guy in the second movie and he's like a dude, he's like a farmer, and he's like, no. And then the critter ball runs over him, and then when it's gone, he's just like a skeleton with like a little bit of flesh hanging off but of him. It's like a shaking skeleton. Still. <laughs> yeah, but he's shaking for the some reason. He's like, what happened? <laughs> But that, like, no shit scared the hell out of me when I was a kid. That gave me so many nightmares when I was a kid. I thought the the critter ball was going to come through town. I thought the critters were just scary because they were small. They could turn into a ball and move very quickly. Like, I feel like a a Chucky or a Gremlin, you could, like, track them at least because they're big enough to where they can't just, like, sneak into anywhere. Like, if you get into a big enough space, it's like, okay, I can find where they're at but the critters it was or the krites sorry they're they're just like these little balls that can fly through windows they can roll around and and it's just hard to keep track of them it's like trying to track a cockroach in your apartment or or a spider or something to kill and they have projectiles oh yeah can't forget about that that's another thing i forgot yeah do they do they drop that for the later movies where they shoot little poison darts out of their um, backs and the second one they they shoot them a couple of times but like they're they're also so smart that they they're they're not like space raptors. They also like work in... They mentioned in the second one a lot, they feed together. Mm-hmm. So they'll trap everything. They'll c- catch everything. 
there's a lot of little nuances that you wouldn't expect from a B-level horror movie that's PG-13. It's like, they are smart. They will hunt you down, and they will play with their food. This movie is super, like, inventive, uh, ingenious in a lot of ways, and I feel like uh, just a lot of creativity went into them, and really a lot of thought and creativity went into the creatures themselves, Mm -hmm. which I think... Uh, back in the 80s, maybe that wasn't so much the case. It was just kind of like, yeah, let's just get a monster and they're going to go and kill the family. But we meet the family, speaking yeah. of. We we go from the space stuff where we have our bounty hunters that are hired to go kill the rest of the Krites. They've absconded with the ship. And the bounty hunters with the gloppy, glowy faces are off hunting them. They eventually track the critters to Earth, even though the critters haven't landed yet. No, the the warden of the prison calls them and goes, Oh, by the way, guys, I've got one piece of information I should have told you before you left. They're going to this planet called Earth. And it's like, you could, you just didn't tell them earlier, but it's a nice little like use of hologramming. And this is 1986. So like Space Camp, it's two years after Star Wars, so they were making Star Wars... You know, tw- uh, alien jokes. They, the cat's name is Chewy. Yeah, for goodness' sake, love so that. They're they're building on that. The warden holographic calls to them and says, "Oh, they're, they're going to Earth, guys. Um, should have told you that sooner." Yeah, but uh, you got all the information on your hollow discs. Yeah, and he also tells them, "Don't blow too much shit up because last time they were sent out on a mission, they caused a lot of trouble and a lot of destruction. And what do they do? They cut that warden off. Mm-hmm. They turn that hologram off. And then what do, what do they do? The, the classic trope of learning about a, a language. Fifth element, let's learn everything at once. Yeah, yeah, exactly. By watching television, essentially. And they're also trying to find forms because we've come to find that these are shape-shifting aliens. And Tyler, what do they find for... We don't learn his name here, but we will come to know as Ugg in future installments. The bounty hunters there are named Ugg and Lee, but... <laughs> Jesus Christ. I didn't realize the other one's name was Lee. They never mentioned their names in the first one, except in... Um, the credits. Uh, the credits. But they also never actually say their names together to actually hit that joke home. You just kind of you just know that they're called Ugg and Lee. And they're, oh, man. It's uh, such an easy joke, but it kind of is hilarious. Ugg, the... The more prominent bounty hunter stumbles upon a music video of Johnny Steele, fictional musical character, singing mm-hmm. uh, Power of the Night, which they did a full three minutes of this song, which I'm glad they did because it comes in handy in other moments. They, they played the song like three or four times. Yeah, they, they get a lot of use out of the song. The actor that they got cast for Ugg is Terrence Mann, who is not prominent in in film circles, but he is a huge Broadway actor. He was the original Javert on the Broadway cast of Les Mis. He was the original Beast from Disney's Beauty and the Beast when he went to Broadway. He's well-established, and he's done some other film stuff. He did... um, he did, what is it, the Dresden Files TV mm-hmm. show for a little bit. He did um, a Christopher Reeves TV movie, Bump in the Night. Mm-hmm. Um, just He's done some small stuff here and there, and he's big. He's he's, pretty, he's famous for stage, but not for, for film. Is it kind of like a Joel Grey? Like, uh, mostly known for, like, one iconic uh, film role, but mostly known for the for the stage? I, I would say he's, yeah, he's mostly known for Ugg, if you had to pick him for film. Yeah. But Joel Grey also has an EGOT. <laughs> right, yeah. I was about to say a little less iconic than Joel Grey, maybe, but Terrence, um, who's called Terrence from now? <laughs> yeah, Terry. Um, he sang all of uh, of the song "Power of the Night." Uh, I sent it. I sent the actual like full three minutes to you yesterday. It's it's beautiful. It's, it's like a, a it's good, really it's good, good. Like hardcore '80s glam rock that somebody would sing, and it, it plays three or four times in the music. And I'm glad they had him sing it because I don't like. I recognize Broadway actors who are great for singing in movies that have music. I'm like, why didn't you get them to sing? Yeah. A Joyful Noise, Dolly again. Yeah. With Dolly Parton, Queen Latifah, you've got um, Jesse L. Martin plays um, 
Queen Latifah's love interest mm-hmm. doesn't sing at all. Everybody else in this movie sings, but the guy who was um, Tom Collins from Rent doesn't sing at that all. Is, that is insane. Another example of that is fucking Enchanted. Cast Adina Menzel as a yeah. huge part, and don't give her a fucking song? Are you kidding me? They could have had another Frozen, or another Let It Go, rather. Yeah. I mean, you know how I feel about that song, but like another Let It Go... Uh, on their hands, and they just like let it slip through their fingers. Like Amy Adams it can carry a tune, but a great singer she is not. Same goes for James Marsden. And then you have Adina there, one of the greatest singers on the fucking planet, and you just let her go to waste? Like, what is what is up with that? I wonder if they were casting Frozen, and you're like, oh, we screwed Adina over. Let's let's bring her back in. Yeah. The wickedly talented. And they were like, and let's give her the 11 o'clock number to end all 11 o'clock numbers. Because let me tell you what, we just went to Lindsay and her best friend and I all went to California Adventure the other day, and we sat through the Frozen show, which... I think I first maybe maybe attended with you. I don't know. Perhaps yeah, we went to that Aladdin show. Oh right, we went to the Aladdin show, down. which was great. By the way, I mean Aladdin's my favorite Disney movie, but that show was fantastic. I would go see that a hundred times before seeing Frozen again. Uh, I have many problems with Frozen. The whole second half of that story is pretty boring. But holy shit, man! Like even even I got wrapped up and let it go when she sang that. Uh, we also had a version where there, there's this video on YouTube with a girl who tries to do the quick change and it doesn't quite work. So she's like pulling this like basically like <laughs> parachute apparatus and it just won't go. And it eventually does, but it takes her a long time to get it done. And it and the audience still went apeshit in the video when she finally got it done. But it's a very funny video. It's like a 40 second long thing uh, of this girl trying to do the quick change. Our girl kept grabbing her quick change thing yeah like before like as she's doing the big high note before the quick change she was like hanging on to it we got really excited that something bad was about to happen and that she was not going to be able to pull it off but the quick change went over flawlessly so zero stars but yes so we have terrence Mann. might as well use him for a song right yeah, might as well have him sing an actual so all like all of the song that they'll, they'll use a few more times like, and i think it's used four times total mm-hmm. uh, even i think they use a little bit of the actual like intro music somewhere else not even associated with it and then my thing favorite part of that besides him singing is the reverse raiders transformation how in Raiders you have the face melting. Oh this, yeah, they actually like they build his face from you know they take the green blob and they take it away and you have bones and then they put the muscle tissue then they put the skin on and it's like it's reverse version of him looking at the arc. It's like oh I didn't mean to look at it. Okay, we'll give you your face back. Yeah, no, that was really cool. I loved that effect. Obviously, they like did just melt the face and then they reversed the footage. Mm-hmm. But it looked really fucking cool. I thought that was super neat. It also reminded me of the beginning of Return of the Living Dead. Have you seen that movie? Is that the one with the mall? No. The mall? No, that's uh, Dawn of the Dead. I thought there was uh, like another mall. Return of the Living Dead is where it's the more comedic version of zombies. They're the ones that actually say we want more brains. I don't know if that's exactly where that came from, but it's pretty heavily put in there. But at the very beginning, there's a face that melts kind of in the same way that like looks exactly the same. Very cool effect. And yeah, you you put up the more famous example of Raiders, which everybody knows and is so wicked looking in that movie. So it's a super cool effect and it's really effective for this. So he looks like Johnny Steele in all of his 80s ass glory. He actually has a perm in the second one. What? Yes, yeah, it's, it's like full, like, I don't know why he keeps his head as Johnny. I, I think they mentioned, like, oh, my my body likes this form, but he, he gets curly hair. And this one, though, it just has a beautiful wafty wave of a mullet going into the back. Oh, it looks yeah. better in this one. It looks great. It's very, the hair is very big. It's much bigger in the music video that you mm-hmm. sent me, 
which was fantastic, which is the full power of the night song uh, with the little bit of footage that they had of the music video in the movie. Also clips from Critters. It was a fan-made thing, yeah. but the whole song itself is pretty great. But yeah, he is like, God, I, I would probably call him like one of the most like 80s hot dudes ever. It's like, weird, yeah. You see pictures now, he's got a very long face, but he just really knows how to rock it. And that, that suit is cool yeah no the the he looks like he's wearing he was wearing funny clothes like he's from los angeles like los angeles as one lady calls it uh no he looks uh the bounty hunters look pretty awesome they're wearing this like red leathery outfits with a lot of different layers and they're carrying these big guns around they look pretty badass for for what it's worth but man we haven't even talked about the family we're on the farm we're in kansas oh real quick though because it comes in place like four more times lee doesn't change he's he's looking through a bunch of videos and like even ug looks over and says change your form and it's like no i can't he has his body cannot find a form to change into so it becomes a bit of a subtle running gag in a running one. gag in the second one it's much worse oh yeah Jeez. so lee yeah he does not pick a form at all until mm-hmm. they get to earth so they're off they're chasing down the krites then we have the title card then we have the title card we are 44 minutes into this podcast ish and it's a beautiful title card. I was like noting it, like how it was like that old, that the eighties. Like we're not using a font. We're actually going to make like a nice little graphic and superimpose it into this. And it's just like the critter logo, and it's got like little claws at the yeah. bottom or little teeth. I mm-hmm. guess I, I thought it was their hands. Yeah, it looked like yeah more hands because God. Once we finally see them, the number of teeth alone is ridiculous, and they've got rows upon rows of teeth. So we meet this family. Do we know their last name, Tyler? They're the Browns. It's it's funny. Uh, you have Brad Brown is the main boy. Right. Scott Grimes from Band of Brothers and Mystery Alaska. Mm-hmm. And his name is Brad Brown. And then in the second movie, there's a girl named Megan something with an M. So, mm-hmm. like, of course, it's a B-horror movie. They're going to alliterate everybody's yeah. names. But it's the Brown family. They land. And you have this beautiful like farm music that's composed by David Newman, who's Thomas Newman's brother and the whole like Newman family of composers. Is Randy Newman part of that? No, no, no. Although you would see a farm, you would expect Randy Newman to come on out with a song, <laughs> friend. We got the farm and the critters. Come on down. I haven't done a bad impression on this show in a minute, so... That's a good one. Yeah, thanks. Um, you get meet the family. You meet uh, Dee Wallace, or in this one, I think she's called Dee Wallace Stone. But um, she's making breakfast for the family. And I want to note, while there are some beautiful moments, the sound in this scene is awful. It's it insane. The world's loudest breakfast. Holy shit. The dad is making sweet tea in a giant mason jar that he's he drinks in two other scenes, but he just clanks the shit out of that glass. And then you've got the the eggs and the dishes. It so adds like loud. some verisimilitude to the scene, you could say. They put one microphone above this family and let it record everything. So it really is very different from what we're used to in terms of movie sound because mm-hmm. normally yeah, they would be like this is way too loud. We have to ADR it and layer in the sound and mix all these sound effects down. So it's all very real feeling. And the, the family, they feel like a unit. Like the brother and sister, Stephanie is her name, right? April. April? Yep, I was close. <laughs> April. The, the names aren't really important. I guess like the dad's name is Jake or whatever. I call him dad. But yeah. he's um he was Jack Nicholson's friend in Five Easy Pieces. He mm. was uh, Alice Don't Live Here Anymore. She, it was Alice's husband at the beginning. Oh, wow. guys. So he's done good things I yeah think. for sure but yeah you meet the family they all they all have their nice little moments of the happy mom the, the troublemaking son mm-hmm. the sweet daughter and the dad who just has his arms up and oil greased fixing everything in the basement 
he's a farmer, man. And that's clearly all he gives a shit about is, I'm just a farmer. That is who I am. That like is my, my one character trait. My dad farmed hogs. Why does Steve have a problem? Yeah, uh, the daughter is on the phone with Steve. It's Steve's birthday. It's a throwaway line. Her, yeah. her new boyfriend from New York. Yeah, it's nice to set up what the family is, and it's also nice to set up that house. Because yeah. like, there's scenes where they're running through the house from the outside. They, that, that's how I liked how, like, the angles and the views of everything in, that, in this movie is that he uses different faraway shots. He uses a full house. They didn't want to try to build a set piece for this for sets for like rooms. Mm-hmm. They, that shows that this house is one giant unit that they can they can utilize very well at the very end. I, it just had yeah a sense of geography yeah. to everything, which I really liked. Uh, that made sense, and it really felt like a real house. Mm-hmm. I, at first, I thought the dad was a little over the top. He gets better when he gets attacked by the Krites. For the yeah. first time, he kind of like tones it down, or he matches it matches him. You know who's fucking great in this movie is D Wallace. Yes, she showed up to work. She has some fucking gravitas in this. She like she wants this house. She wants to keep this family as nice and as strong as possible. She has a throwaway line of "Oh, they didn't say thank you for breakfast," but. She misses her family so much. She's, there's a scene at the um, when they're around the fireplace, and she just loses it um, at the end with the house. When the family's all together, she loses it again. She, it's, she's emotionally invested in a lot of just yeah. keeping her, her happy farm life that's now been obliterated by a bunch of little hairballs. She gets uh, top billing, too. Yeah. Of all the actors, and she earns it. Like she's not the main character. The main character is Brad. Mm-hmm. Uh, second main character, I guess you could say, is Charlie. Really, yeah. We felt we, he gets probably the most screen time out of anybody besides Brad. But Dee Wallace is so good, and yeah, she. It is all about her keeping her family together, them being a full unit, protecting them. And when she can't, there's these couple of moments where she feels like she's failing them and can't protect her family that's just like so heart-wrenching that it's like real moments of acting that are just amazing from her that are way above the level of what this movie was supposed to be and i think that's what elevates it totally is she's great scott grimes as brad Mm -hmm. you get a lot of like precocious teenagers in these types of movies but he a feels like absolutely real Mm -hmm. i never question that he's a real kid and he's also great. He plays every one of these moments, the moments of fear, the moments of awe, uh, the moments where, for instance, when his favorite rock star is sitting in a car with him, and he's like, holy shit, what? And Charlie, what are you doing here? Like, he plays all of it just beautifully. What makes you appreciate him is at the very beginning is when he sticks up for Charlie. Uh, yes. He's being, he's being a brat kid, but um, when Charlie um, shoots his sister in the, bottom, in the backside with a, with a slingshot... Um, Brad sticks up for him and he's like I gotta be a good person for this and it shows that these are good people and it makes sense that he's going to take the risk to go out there and try to find help it makes the mom it's a farm wife and the husband's gonna go down there and check on everything but when he's injured and paralyzed she has to take up the shotgun oh hell yeah yeah she gives up that weapon that gives us the best moment of the movie oh yeah and then you have the daughter who is it's 1986 and she's like calling up the boy and it, it Later on, she plays into like she's the one who wants to like take him out into the barn. It's not, it's not her boyfriend who is the who we'll mention who plays that in a second. It's not the boyfriend who's being the Lothario. She's like, come on, I, I promised you a ride for your birthday, or you, I, you promised to give me. A ride. She's the one who's being more like more forward. They, they they kind of play with the the tropes that you have established in 1986 of the doting housewife who ends up taking up the shotgun in this one, the precocious boy who ends up being scared, but he's actually more brave in this, or the the beautiful daughter who you think is just going to be uh, mousy, but she's actually more aggressive in terms of 
taking on the Kreitz as well as taking on you know a relationship with this guy from New York. The guy, of course, with the uh, with the license plate two, the number two, great G R eight, with the subline of I don't give a shit what your other car is. Oh, it. I didn't even notice that. Well, that's excellent. I'm really, really happy that that's it. But who plays this part in his second feature film ever? Mr. Billy Muffucking Zane in a Critters movie. Now, was Kate Winslet ever in a Critters movie? I don't think she was. Oh, well, that's a shame. Because she may have auditioned for a Ghoulies and didn't make it. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Probably so. But obviously we have uh, Leonardo DiCaprio in part three mm-hmm. in his feature film debut. He had done some other acting before that, but it's introducing Leonardo DiCaprio in fucking Critters 3. So it's like, wow, like two of the three main actors of that movie. Do you think Kathy Bates was in? had anything to do with the Critters do we think that like maybe a critter was somewhere her, in misery her, her, in her, her cabin? Yeah. She was she was basically a critter to James Con. Yeah, yeah. She was not as tall as most horror movie people, so she she was an asshole critter. Yeah, that was another thing. Billy Zane, like aside from his license plate making him sound like an asshole, he's, he's not not an asshole he's at all. Very nice to the mom. When she goes to chase her brother around the barn, he picks up her books and brings them inside. Yep, he's. He's saying no. I don't want to. I don't want to do this here. Your 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 dad could kill me. But he's I'm also respectful. Being, yeah. well, at the end, he's not. But he, he, he another. He trope. thanks the he, mother for the meal. Mm-hmm. Says it's the best meal he's ever had. Even though probably it didn't look great. And it's his birthday, so he's spending time with her family. He wants to meet them on his birthday. Like, it's a throwaway line, but yeah, he's yeah he's like another trope of like you expect him to be like I'm a cool guy. I want yeah. to take everything and be rude to everyone. Like no, he's respectful and. Just, it's it's a nice flip of, of of a lot of the script. Yeah, I I remembered him being in this movie, and I remember him being the boyfriend. And especially when I heard he was from New York at the beginning, I was like, oh, he's gonna be an asshole. He's gonna be a jerk. He's gonna push people around. He's gonna be a dick to Brad. He's gonna be a dick to the family. Nope. nope. He's totally nice to everybody. And again, yeah, even when she's like, I want to have sex with you, he's like, I don't want to pressure it. We should take it slow. That's what I love about this movie. So many expectations upended for this movie. You'd all again, you. I mean, going back to the beginning where it's like these little tiny creatures. You expect them to be mindless, but here they are, hot wiring a spaceship mm-hmm. and escaping on their own. And they've got plans. They've got a. Uh, they've got strategy. So. It's really fun. Uh, and we also meet Charlie, who is the town drunk who, according to him from his fillings in his teeth, he gets a lot of messages from space. That's one. That's the only setup in this movie that doesn't pay off. There are five other setups that actually pay off, Yeah, which is a HWIG staple. Oh, yeah. Setups and payoffs, baby. As, um, soon, as, uh, as soon as Brad had his firecrackers out, I was like, we'll be seeing those again. But he, he was a famous uh, high school baseball player who could have gone to the pros, which comes in handy at the end. Where, like, the dead wife of the farmer says, swing away? No, he, um, and th- he-, <laughs> he, he has the moment where he throws the Molotov cocktail. And only he could do it because oh, he was a baseball player. right. You know what? I totally forgot about that when the Molotov cocktail moment came because I was, uh, just to skip forward, I was like a little underwhelmed at the, like, the final, quote-unquote, final battle. Yeah. Uh, but uh, you know what? Now that you mentioned that, I had totally forgotten that throwaway line, and uh, and that makes that makes it better. That's and why it, it's great. Set up some payoffs, baby. Another set, off, set up is um, Brad coming out of the tree, and his dad said, oh, how many times do you do it? And Brad's like, I climb this tree a lot. And he actually has to climb the tree again yep. to help save the family. So there's nice little moments. Yeah. But yeah, he's he's a drunker. Apparently, he has his own private cell at the police station because there's a <laughs> lamp in it. Yeah, it's like furnished. And it's also wide open. And he has a bottle of booze in the cell with him. Yeah. Great job there. Yeah, good job, cops. But then you meet the police officer, uh, uh, the police station people. We meet Jeff, the um, 
the hokey deputy um sal the lady who looks like lucille ball who's she, yeah. she's been in some horror movies too yeah i recognize her but i didn't bother looking her up steve the yokel cop that's always jeff. out or jeff sorry steve is billy zane oh right 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 uh i think his name's tom perhaps tom is out there and he's actually played by hannah's dad from girls oh. i don't know if you watch girls no uh, yeah, uh, Lena Dunham's dad in that, who turns out to be gay and breaks up with her mom. Anyway, he was really good in that show, and um, he's in this. And the sheriff is M. Emmett Walsh from uh, Blood Simple. Yeah. And uh, he's been a bunch of other things. I mean, he's like a huge character he, actor. He shot out the oil cans in The Jerk. He was um, the police chief in Blade Runner. I'm surprised that they got him as well as D. Wallace. And Yeah, I think that's where most of their money must have gone, is yeah. getting those couple of actors and, and the first 10 minutes of special effects. Yeah, whatever that floating chair effect was, they definitely put some money into that. So we get, you know, we get the family setups. Charlie works for the for the dad. They set up the town with this, the police and everything. Right. And the, there's a big bowling thing going on tonight that the dad's excited to tell everybody about. Yeah. And he's part of a big league which has a Ghostbusters reference on the back of his shirt. Uh, it's pink. So they didn't get too close to the Ghostbusters no. symbol, but it is like the, a pin and the no symbol over it, which is pretty funny. You've got the Ghostbusters reference. You've got Chewie the cat reference. You've got an E.T. reference. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love the E.T. reference. But you know what? Let's just cut to the chase. Soon enough, the Krites and the Bounty Hunters both land on Earth. Mm-hmm. and They land. They didn't crash. They land. They land. They chose to go here, and all hell starts breaking loose. Basically, everybody in town sees what they think are meteors crashing and charlie's like oh my feelings are right even though his feelings never give anything off he's like he like he wrecks the car goes around then we have the shot of the, the critter spaceship it's just the outside shot and then you see the subtitles the first crite language where they yes. go status report and um like mission objective food and i read somewhere that the person who did all the critter dialogue quote-unquote created the language as well he and like mixed japanese and french or something yeah, yeah japanese and french which is weird because it does not sound like either of those things it just sounds like him making a bunch of like weird grumbly noises trivia fact for two when they had the budget they wanted to do um get the voice of optimus prime to do the voice of the critters oh really because he had done the voice of the gremlins I think you mean Frank Welker, oh, no, the, yeah, voice no, the, the voice of Megatron. Sorry. Yeah, Frank Welker did the voice of the Gremlins. Great job. Yeah, they wanted I, him to do the Critters and Critters too, but he said no. Oh, yeah, he was too high class for that Critter movie. He's like, I'm, I'm holding out for Gremlins to the new batch. Thank you. And a good choice that was. That's why I like it as well. They have somebody doing the voice for the Critters. I mean, nowadays, you, you would probably have some sound engineer mixing a bunch of sound effects to make the Critter voice. They yeah. have like 6,000 sounds in just Bumblebee's transformation. But they need, it's nice that they had somebody sitting there making up all those sounds. They yeah. would just be, yeah, it'd be a bunch of animal sounds put together, like a whale fart and a bear cough and stuff like that. It's weird because you have Alec. That's why I liked um, Alan Tudyk and Moana did all the, the chicken sounds for yes. Hey Hey. And he's like, I went to Juilliard for this. Or um, BB-8 <laughs> or was Bill Hader, right? And ben, or and Ben Schwartz and Bill Hader. Yeah. Oh, that's weird. Yeah. I didn't know it was both of them. There's a funny video of Ben Schwartz at Disneyland being attacked by BB-8 balloons. Oh, it's, that's it's fun. Just kind of meta. And now, uh, and now Ben Schwartz is going to be the great iconic character of Sonic the Hedgehog in the movie that everyone's really excited about. Cricket, cricket. So we got the we got the critters. They land on Earth, and uh, so they obviously land on the Browns' farm. And the dad and the son both go to check it out. They're mm-hmm. like, what the fuck was that? They think it was like a meteor 
crashing or something. And I guess they're beef farmers or they're or milk. I don't know. I don't I know if it's a dairy farm. The first thing you ever see with like alien invasion or like, um, alien newspaper clippings is cattle mutilation. Oh yeah. So it's kind of tongue in cheek with that. Yeah. So they come upon a, a cow that's like basically eaten down to the bone. In a another upending of a horror movie trope, they see that and they're like, "What is it?" Oh, and they hear a noise out in the distance. They hear the critters like, nah, 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 like flying away, and they're like, "Nope." <laughs> and they turn around and they go back home, which I loved. It's just funny because you expect a farmer like him to be like, "I'm going to go catch it." Well, nope, no. Nah. He was like, "I'm going to go get my shotgun." <laughs> so we not only get that, but then some other critters end up eating Tom the cop. Tom, uh, Tom, Jeff, Jeff, Tom, Jeff, Tom. So he's dead. A critter ball runs down from him. He crashes the car, and he says, Here, doggy, 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 bark, bark, bark. And then, yeah, they just grab him. Because he's a dumbass mm-hmm. and pretty much deserved to die. But speaking of not deserving to die, Billy Zane and the daughter go into the barn. Mm-hmm. He's having some hay fever issues. Because he's from New York. He's not used to the city life. Yeah, he's... A, he, he's I guess country life. He's the city mouse. He's a city mouse, and he's sneezing because of all the hay. Yet, even, despite the fact that he's sneezing constantly, they're still making out, which really grossed me out. I guess your teenage passions are going to run high. They're going to override any common sense. But I know that if like I was with somebody that was sneezing constantly, I'd be like, mm, ew, let's go find another teenage place. Teenage horniness was the um, antihistamine of the time. It wasn't working hard enough for Billy Zane, apparently. <laughs> so they get attacked in the barn eventually. I think I'm, I think I'm skipping ahead a little yeah, bit. Like they land and they're already making out. And like when they land, the entire farm shakes. And she's like, oh, the earth moved. And that's the only like, oh, right. asshole line Billy Zane has. He's like, already? I forgot about that line. And that was even like not that that's a little cocky yeah. but that's not even like fuck you bitch his car keep making out with thing. me the car must have actually belonged to his dad and he's actually the nice kid i mean he even let her drive the car yeah. and i mean he was like be careful just, but, r- just drive around the barn yeah he was he was respectful which is a, which is another setup it's like she kept the keys because she drove around the barn right and then she has the keys later on when they're trying to get out right when they're trying to escape so man once the shit starts to happen in this thing it just all hell breaks yeah. loose like the critters, they attack. What's her name? April. Uh, yeah. Stephanie. Sister. Tom. April. April. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Tamina. Tom. All right. So they they attack April and Steve in the barn. Mm-hmm. Steve gets murdered. Oh, he, yeah, gets, he gets his hand bit off, and another one like barrels into his tummy, and he yeah. kind of does like. <laughs> then he starts freaking out. Yeah, yeah. And and another intelligent moment is she goes to stab one of the critters with a pitchfork, and they're smart enough to like dodge and bite off the pitchfork which is it, it, it lends to like their intelligent beings they, right they've been in this stuff before they know how to get out of the way and and our our first moment where we have seen brad uh he gets grounded at one point because the aforementioned uh slingshot moment where he's hanging out with charlie charlie it fixes his slingshot and they're trying to hit a coke can but his sister is just beyond the can steve's car was right there i was like oh shit don't shoot this guy's car he's gonna he's from new york he's a fancy pants he's gonna lose his shit on you but no they just hit the sister in the butt Mm -hmm. and uh and as you said brad took the fall for it even though i think brad could have just been like oh sorry i was trying to hit a can and i hit her sorry he took the fall for Charlie, which shows his kindness and his consideration for this down on his luck character. Because he knew if they knew Charlie had hit her, they may have finally fired him because he's already on thin ice for missing time because he's in the drunk tank for playing with Brad. So Brad gets put in uh, not jail; he's uh, grounded and put in, sent to his room for it. And we see him creating homemade explosives. Yes, the, and I, I was very concerned. The dad's like, "Let me have your slingshot, boy." 
not your arsenal of gunpowder and fertilizer bombs that you make yeah. in this house. He's making like he's taking like old shotgun shells and turning those into firecrackers, M16 like firecrackers. And he like has a pipe bomb. A pipe bomb. He is putting gaff tape around the fuse and he has made himself a pipe bomb. It is legit. And we will see just how legit it is later in the movie. They Holy are, shit. Yeah, they have a big old blinking setup sign over that fuse. Oh yeah, absolutely. That is the gun in the drawer. He puts it in his pocket and even though it does it's humongous. It's like a full on stick of dynamite. We don't see it. It doesn't look like it's in his pocket at any point in the movie Those until he needs it. Small cargo pants. <laughs> yeah, they are. Maybe they're like Hermione's purse, yes. where it's just like bottomless. And the person like, who sewed Mary Poppins' bag sewed yes. pants together. That must be some sort of like London thing where they can, uh, yeah, just bottomless pits. But he puts it in his pocket, and we know that that's going to come up later too. Mm-hmm. But in the barn, when the sister's getting attacked, they hear her scream. He goes running to save her, and he throws one of the uh, one of his firecrackers onto the ground to distract one of the critters and the critter eats it and we're like okay here it comes he's gonna explode and and another upending of your expectations it, it explodes inside of him and the critter just sort of says and then falls to the ground and it's not some dramatic explosion or anything no. like that but oh before this even happens obviously the dad goes down into the basement goes- the power's cut the phones are cut he gets attacked. He looks around, and then he hears a noise on the bookshelf on the other side of the basement. That's when he has the flashlight. You just see this this full body of a critter, but it's so small in the distance, move around. He gets closer, and yeah, they bite, all, bite on his hand. Another one falls on his shirt. And then he's trying to get out of there, and they ball up, and they shoot spikes, which just completely paralyze his body. They miss him one time, and he has that, this great look of like, oh, oh these sh- things can fire at me. Yeah. They know what they're doing. And they finally... The mom and son pull his body way up there after he's been shot like two times with these. Yeah, he gets shot in the leg. He also gets like chomped on the leg, chomped on the shoulder. Dad gets fucked up. But they have a throwaway scene right before the barn, before the barn screen, where they're mending him, and he says, "I've, um, I think I'm getting my feeling back." So you know that these these quills aren't like permanent; they're temporary paralysis or whatever. Yeah. And he's like, "Be careful with that boy; it's poison." It cuts also back to who talk about when they find Jeff's body, Tom's body. Mm-hmm. It cuts to the police officer a little bit, and you see Ugg and his bounty hunter friend Lee, who still has no face, and they're driving around, and you see Lee start shaking uncontrollably, and Ugg's like, eh, whatever. And Lee turns into Jeff, but it's not Tom Jeff's like clean face. He mimics his dead face, <laughs> right. his dead body, and it's like the like chewed up neck, neck and, and chewed up face, and which everything is great like because I he didn't just go straight into it. And he kind of keeps that dead face droopingness. He didn't he doesn't mimic it when he he finds other faces throughout the movie. He does kind of take on that persona of that person and can speak with them but because this is a dead body he can't really do anything it's kind of funny yeah and then they try to drive away and they get just drive backwards to the entire yeah, town which was funny and then billy zane dies oh well oh yeah and then billy zane's dead womp womp he goes on to do phantom and dead calm which oh. by the way if you see billy zane on a boat no from dead calm and titanic not to be with him yeah just get off, get off right then if like you're on a carnival cruise and billy zane walks by and you're like shit billy zane can't you afford better than a carnival cruise yeah you need to jump ship immediately so the family is now besieged by the the critters the krites i wrote a note here when brad is running to the barn he comes up what i call the ultimate warrior critter who is <laughs> in a chicken cage gripping onto the chicken yeah yes he just finds a, a critter just like he's not even eating anything he's just 
hanging onto the edge of the cave going like, going ape shit. It's like the first full reveal of the critters in their glory. I mean, the basement was a tease because you saw yeah. their teeth, but this you see them walking around. You see them just going crazy in the chicken coop and yeah. the full body of the one just like walking up to a firecracker. Yeah, so we finally get our good look at these guys, and they're weird looking. Tyler actually has a like figurine of a critter that he brought with him. They're probably like four or five inches tall, big glowing like red eyes with like the slits in the middle, almost like a cat eye, rows and rows of teeth. I mean, they look like station ish, but they're also they have like weird like eighties hair kind of like mm-hmm. slick back mullets almost. Yeah. Um they're hairy, they're gross, they're disgusting, and they roll up into little balls. They got really tiny short little arms and legs. I love this design. It's so weird. So out there. And it's done by the Chioto brothers. I don't know if we've mentioned them yet, no. but they are huge in the 80s special effects world. They directed the absolute classic Killer Clowns from Outer Space, did all the effects for those. Those are some of the scariest practical effects ever to me, those clowns. And I'm not somebody who finds clowns scary, but those clowns, they're all like animatronic, like hugely distorted, disproportionate faces, and they're so creepy looking. And so wonderful. And I think they just did an amazing job with this. Yeah. They're nice. It's like, it's not marketable, but they're they're fun looking, but they're also menacing. They're like, yeah. they look like animals as opposed to just like some kind of thing that somebody came up with. They have, they look functional and like they could be real. They actually, interestingly enough, look like some of the least humanoid monsters. Yeah. Like the ghoulies had proportionate, like their bodies were little but they had arms of a normal length and heads of a normal size and everything. Same kind of goes for the gremlins. The gremlins are a little distorted. Their legs are a little short and their arms are a little long, but generally humanoid. They These, had elbows. These guys were just stubs. And you actually sent me a video of uh, behind the scenes for Critters 2 from the Kyoto Brothers. Or Chioto Brothers or Kyoto? I actually don't know. Whatever it is. Just such a joy watching them create these effects and do the puppetry and yell at the puppeteers because the puppeteers are fucking around. And uh, they're all dudes from, like, Jersey, I think. Mm-hmm. And, man, they are very Jersey, and these behind-the-scenes real. But, man, it was just super fun to watch it and for them to test all these effects out and stuff and yeah. just to see that 80s ingenuity go into anything is wonderful. Let's all right. Let's let's burn this through this thing. Yeah, this is so we, like we've we've got our, our kill total done because it's PG thirteen. So we got the two dead bodies out of the way. Yeah, we got two people killed, and so the rest of the movie is the family being besieged by these yeah, critters yeah. while the, the family defending the house. But then you have the separate story of the bounty hunters trying to find them as well. It's nice that you have two separate stories. So yeah. the bounty hunters drive backwards into a church, right? Having a nighttime service for some reason, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, midnight a, midnight mass probably when there's a big bowling tournament going on. Yeah, and they come in, and the church people are saying, "Jeff, what are you doing here, Jeff?" They recognize dead Jeff, and then Lee again transforms into the preacher. And every time Lee transforms, he seems to be the um, the short tempered ones. He just starts blowing things up. The, right. The the piano player faints, and you have a crescendo playing with that. He shoots the piano. He just shoots everything up. Yeah. They leave, and instead of driving backwards, they have a cute little bit where they end up driving forwards this time. They go to a bowling alley just to finish up their story before they meet up with the brad they go to a bowling alley and you've established that the critters can roll around these little ball shapes and a black bowling ball comes up and just ugh grabs hold of it and you think oh wait oh no it's just a bowling ball you expect the critters to be at this bowling alley as well right and he just nonchalantly tosses the thing and de- disintegrates a couple of bowling pins at the same <laughs> right. time yeah uh, that, however that was one of those instances where you are watching it on dvd so it may have looked fine but on 1080p 
on my TV, that bowling ball looked nothing like an actual bowling ball because it was clearly like not smooth and oh. not like polished. Um, it was uh, it was a just a black sphere, but it had a lot of like pox in it and stuff. Modern day TVs were not kind to that one moment, but it was still fun for him to throw the uh, the bowling ball at the pins and to explode them. And then of course one of the Hicks and the and the place was like, what team is he on? Yes. They end up in the Hick Bar. (laughs) Yeah. Well, the attached bar, uh, which this bowling alley really reminded me of Jack's Lanes from Valdosta, by the way. Did you ever go to Jack's Lanes when you were in college? It was like the one shithole bowling alley that we had in town. It had an even shittier bar attached to it, but it was exactly the same kind of like layout. And Charlie, of course, is as our local drunk is hanging out in the bar. It finally realizes he was right this whole time. These aliens show up and start blowing shit up. They shoot the TV. They get into a bar brawl with a couple of local yokels. They fight with the bartender and end up just for whatever reason just shooting up the whole place. Or they just shoot up the yeah. I think it's just the bar. I just don't know, the bar. Everybody runs out of it. And Lee again, not comfortable with his his form, looks at Charlie and turns into slick Charlie. Yeah, it turns into like perfected version of Charlie, where Charlie has like kind of like sunken eyes and like five o'clock shadow and just looks like a drunk and has his hairs all slicked back and his out voice there. is like much more calm and less yeah. like country and yeah. yeah he's lost his accent and everything yeah this version of charlie is way cooler once lee turns into him and charlie ends up not going with them right well yeah. he gets on his bike and he's now trying to find like the cops to tell the cops he's trying to get the army involved mm-hmm. nobody believes him because of course because it's a horror movie that's the one trope that is you know, ever present in these movies is the one guy who's right mm-hmm. nobody ever believes them but back at the house we have critters just attacking these guys. They're trying to find a way out. They're trying to get into Steve's car. They try to get into their own truck, but the critters have eaten everything. Yeah. They try to get Steve's car, and you notice one's gotten bigger. Yeah. They are stuck on the porch. They somehow lock themselves out. Because they have that, that throwaway shot of the front door locking behind them. Yeah, somehow. Even though it's like a latch lock, it's not even like, oh, the doorknob was accidentally left locked which is why brad has to learn his tree climbing abilities right he has to call that one back and climb into the house but while they're doing that the critters are all attacking they're turning into balls and trying to get in through the little tiny white picket fence yeah one of the critters is a little bit bigger than the rest eventually they take their sweet time getting up those four porch steps uh but d wallace Again, playing the fear beautifully. I bought that like mm-hmm. so, I, like hook, line, and sinker. She was really selling me on the absolute terror she was going through, trying to shoot these things. She drops the shotgun shells. Uh, she reaches for one, and one of the critters almost grabs her. Uh, as we've seen before, they bit Billy Zane's fingers off in a flash. So mm-hmm. we think that that's going to happen. All the while, Brad's running inside trying to get the door open. She manages to shoot at one of them and miss. And they're like, like the critter just kind of like looks at the explosion. They finally get in the house and one of the critters says, oh, Tyler, I'll let you take this one from here. Critter one looks at critter two and says, they have weapons. Critter two says, so what? Then D Wallace's gun comes back out and shoots critter two who says, so what? And critter one just lows, fuck. (laughs) Yep. And rolls off. Critter 2 explodes with the shotgun, and Critter 2 says, fuck, and then zips off. I think there were extra U's in that fuck, too. I, I, I love that moment so much. You just hold it out and just go, fuck. Just uh, one, uh, once upon a time, Tyler and I watched all four of the Critters movies. I think, was that in one day? I think it was in a day. Oh. 
that was back in the uh, the days where we before we were married and stuff and had a lot more free time on our hands. But we watched all the Critters movies, and I picked out all my favorite moments and eventually ripped from the DVD those scenes. And I still have them on my computer. In the third one, there's one where they corner a critter and he just starts screaming this high operatic scream that for like three, for like thirty seconds. Yeah, and it gets so high and piercing that like glass starts to shatter all around the building. And the critters are just like fucking up a kitchen. They're just like hanging out, like throwing flour around and just like kind of just fucking around. And they look at each other and they say, "Blackie's in trouble." Uh, and then they have to go save their friend Blackie. So that's the only critter that ever had a name, then they get, to my knowledge. But then they get back to Blackie, and as he finishes screaming, he just goes, Ah. <sighs> yeah, well, I'm going to have to post all these on social media, because they are great scenes. So the family's all holed up in the house. The dad got further fucked up. They got his shoulder again. Like, he is messed up yeah. at this point. D. Wallace gets eventually shot in the neck with a dart. The family is just rough. They barricade themselves inside one of the bedrooms. And one of the moments that made me laugh was Brad putting, like, a mattress on the door. Like, we've watched them devastate everything. Like, what's a mattress going to do? So we have a little bit of moment of the family trying to figure out what the hell they're going to do. The only option left at this point, I think they've already tried to go to Steve's car, but that's when they saw that one was bigger. They don't have a phone. They need to get to a phone. They need to get to the highway so that they can get some help. Mm -hmm. And Brad's like... I got this. This is my moment. I'll get on my bike, and I'm going to run there. You guys just got to survive long enough for me to go get some cops. And you cops, you've got the sheriff who's been woken up in the middle of the night with his Dolly Parton also on a phone from 9 to 5 above his nightstand. Yeah, there's like just a little, like what looks like a newspaper clip of Dolly Parton taped up over his phone. We don't know if he's like married, if he has kids. We don't see any of the rest of his family. It's just him alone in the bed. And yeah, this little tiny picture of Dolly Parton uh, held up, which I thought was funny after realizing that he also did the Coat of Many Colors and Christmas of Many Colors movie. That dude just loves Dolly, and who can blame him? He So you have his storyline now of him driving around trying to track down the bounty hunters, so he's going to different spots after them. Yeah. yeah. It just, it's just cute. He's like he's on the phone, he's talking to Dolly, or is Dolly talking to him? Yeah. But they recast him in the second one, by the way. Oh, that sucks. It's dumb. And it, he like lives in a trailer at this point, and he has to character actor barry corbin not baron corbin not baron corbin Corbin. oh another wrestling reference and you're you're full of them today um so yeah he's running around trying to find the the source of all this mayhem people are coming out of the woodwork talking about what's going on so yeah we get brad going down to this bike uh and as he gets to his bike one of my favorite moments that i'd totally forgotten about at this point the critter's probably i don't know three feet tall Mm -hmm. and he is literally just leaning up on the barn next to the bike if he could cross his arms, he would. And he's just, like, tapping his foot like a bully, waiting to take his lunch money. Yes. It's so good. And and he locks eyes with Brad and just, like, knocks the bike over. He's like, come get it, punk. And it's just great. I fucking love that moment. Um, this Again, this movie is just so weird. It's just such a dumb movie, and the, everything's just wonderful in it. But Brad eventually runs away. The I forget how he gets away. Did we touch on the fact that they like lit a critter on fire, and so he's now one of them that has to like hide itself in the toilet while he's on fire? Still. Oh right, yeah, and yeah. The other two, oh, they say, "Let's roll," and so they get out of yep. there, and and, so. and they literally roll away. They yeah. turn into little balls. Yeah, when Brad started the fire, this was they're heading upstairs. They're trying to barricade. This is before they barricade themselves, and he like lights. In addition to his dynamite and his other explosives, he's also carrying this weird lighter Giant thing. Giant lighter, yeah. It's like um, a beer can. And, like, yeah, it sets part of his house on fire. And I was thinking the whole time, like, that's a terrible idea. 
I know you guys are running from aliens and you probably aren't thinking straight, but like you guys are upstairs. You're about to go lock yourselves in a room. Why are you setting a fire up here? That makes no sense. But he did it. It did work. And yeah, like you said, one of them jumps into the toilet. Which I took as kind of like a Ghoulies reference. Yeah, I think so. Um, then you have and, the other one on the stairs just laughing the whole time. Ah. Oh, I know. They're they're all so weird. Like, they all have, like, little personalities. And they're all, like, just, again, they're just assholes. I think that's probably a Gremlins takeaway. Because all the Gremlins were kind of the same way. Even if one of the Gremlins was watching another Gremlin get ground up in a or meat grinder. Yeah, then they laugh at it. That's probably kind of where that aspect of their personalities comes from. But... The point of the thing is they are assholes. They don't care about anything except for where their next meal's coming from. Uh, eventually, Brad does just get away. Perfect timing for the cop car with our two bounty hunters to come in. Yep. Uh, he sees Charlie looking weird. He sees his favorite rock star. He's like, what's happening? And he eventually tells them, like, they're critters at my house. And says, let's go back to my house. And uh, the Charlie bounty hunter, Lee, is going to move. He's like, oh, wait, I don't know where you live. He's like, yes, you do, Charlie. You're not Charlie. So they eventually get to the house. And I thought at this point, like, oh, well, the two bounty hunters are here. Like, things are going to be fine. And I was actually expecting at least one of them to get killed. And then we get the critter montage. Oh, right, right, right. The This is a classic. This is in every Critters movie where there's a moment where the Critters are just in a room fucking shit up. They do it in the second movie. They're in a restaurant, like in a burger place, and they're, like, oh, destroying the salad bar. As I mentioned, in the third one, they're destroying the kitchen for no reason. Mm-hmm. And in the fourth one, I don't know. We don't talk about that. Which, by the way, the fourth one has Angela Bassett and Brad Dourif both in it. Yeah. What the fuck? I mean, the, it was I'm, straight it, to video. And it was, yeah, like, what? Like, you got two, like, Oscar-caliber actors? That's insane. And also Charlie and Terrence Mann. Yeah. <laughs> so those guys are, of course, in it. I don't. I know we watched it. I don't remember anything about it other than it was like way too serious. Mm-hmm. Critters is all about the, like the humor laced in, and this was very earnest and straight faced. Didn't like it, but yeah, we have our our moment of them just trashing Brad's room, I guess. And yeah. at one point, one of my favorite moments is they come across an ET, like a plushy ET, and the critter is like talking to it. He's like, "Hey, who are you?" What's up, dude? Like, what's up, man? How's it going? And he, like, kind of bumps him, like, expecting a response. They're assholes to each other, but other aliens are like, well, let's get to know one another first. I don't know. It's like a farm-to-table thing. Like, you go to the farm, you pick out the chicken that you're going to eat later tonight. Yeah. That's that's basically what it was. He's like, you are the chicken I'm about to eat, E.T. Uh, what's your name, bro? Where are you from? And, uh, of course, E.T. is a plushie, so he can't respond, so he bites his head off. But he reaches out with his little critter finger to touch E.T.'s heart. Yes, yes. So good. So just dumb. I wonder if they brought that into set and, like, D. Wallace is like, mm, why? I feel like D. Wallace probably, like, didn't break character the whole time. She just was, like, in it to win she it. She was panicking Baby. the whole time. She made everybody breakfast. There was no craft service. Yeah, exactly. That's what she did. She would show up at 6 every day. So good. D. Wallace, you're, you're too good for this movie. Let's be honest. So the bounty hunters... Gently open a door to mm-hmm. let themselves known, mm-hmm. and by gently, they blow the fuck out of the front of the house. <laughs> yeah, we get a lot of destruction in this. They find the critter in the toilet and a, blow him up. A critter rolls across the floor, and Lee shoots the ceiling instead. Right. But yeah, they killed the um, the critter in the toilet, and he picks up the little bit. But there's like a funny little subtle moment of uh, Ugg standing over the toilet with his gun, and then when he's done blowing out the toilet, he, he retracts his oh, gun in a kind yeah. of phallic humor kind of way <laughs> they do a far less subtle version of that in the second one the sheriff shows up sheriff harve and 
he sees Charlie. He's like, Charlie, what are you? Are you are you drunk? But it's the bounty hunter Charlie, and he picks him up and throws the sheriff out the window. Kind of like we're where you don't give a fuck about authority. We're just here for our, our bounties. Yeah, we're not going to take a bet. Some of that '80s punk attitude, like "fuck you, cops." We got this. Brad runs back in the house to get the cat that he forgets. The cat meows very loudly through all this explosion. Yeah. And he's like, oh, I forgot Chewy. Chewy. Runs back in to get the Chewy. Then he hears his the parents screaming gunfire outside, kind of like John Hammond, like, guns, no. Mm-hmm. And he runs outside, and then the big critter, which is the size of a human now, has kidnapped April because he's like, you know what? Fuck this planet. Let's just grab some food for the road and get out of here. Yeah, that's the only thing I didn't get. In this entire thing, they just eat whatever they want, whenever they want, and then they randomly kidnap the sister mm-hmm. for some reason. And at this point, the arm there's an arm that comes through like behind like a dresser or something like that. And it was very much reminded me of when Zool is attacking Dana Barrett in uh, Ghostbusters. It looked almost like the same apparatus. Like the arm itself looked almost the same. But it was weird for a critter to have a human-length arm all of a sudden. Because whenever we see him again, he doesn't. He's not no. proportioned he, that he way. He waddles like a PA in a rubber suit in the shadows. I mean, that, they, that suit probably wasn't completely finished. <laughs> yeah, they, they we'd never see it. What confused me the first few times I've seen it was I thought he was giant. I thought he was the size of a house and was just reaching through the window. But no, he was just on the roof like everybody else has been on the roof and he reached through the, the dresser and yeah. he hops down. So. Yeah, he's probably about the size of the of a normal human, probably yeah. like six feet tall, yeah, maybe? Five feet tall? Charlie's we're, Charlie's... we're not going to talk about the, uh, the biology of critters because <laughs> somehow, spoiler alert, they are able to lay eggs? We'll yeah, we'll, we'll, don't worry. We'll get there. So now Brad has to go after this final critter. Yeah. Why did the bounty hunters not go? I all of a sudden can't remember. Um, I, I, it doesn't explain it. I think they were just staying there with the family or trying to clean up the house or something. Mm, maybe they had other critters to go because a couple other ones do get away. Um, they dr- uh, the big one drags April's body and you see two critters just resting on her in ball form. I thought they were eating her at first, but yeah, they were just hanging out. No, they decided, like, this is a main character. We better not kill her. Like a cat on a warm body. Like, oh, yeah, exactly. So Charlie shows up somehow. Yeah, Actually, Charlie shows up Charlie. at some point and follows. Oh, yeah, they run into each other in the woods oh, randomly. Yeah. Brad finally gets on his bike. He's chasing after the critters. Yeah. Uh, Charlie runs into him. So they go together. Brad sneaks onto the spaceship to save his sister. She's been paralyzed by one of the darts. Uh, she's waking up, and the critters are, again, just being kind of like dicks, just like laughing mm-hmm. and setting the course, I guess. And uh, we're, we're getting out of here, even though we've lost seven people, seven of our friends now, counting the two from Asteroid 17. Oh, yeah, totally. There's only three left. There's yeah. two little ones and the one giant one. Uh, but, of course, Charlie, I guess, makes enough noise where the giant one does hear him, yeah. kind of goes after him. They but managed he gets to stuck escape. because the, the ship's too small, too big, for, too small for him now. And yeah, and the two little ones. But he, yeah, he grabs Ray, uh, hey, Rachel. Oh, there's no name in this. April uh, Thomasina. Yeah, he Tamina grabs, <laughs> grabs her and tries to light his um, pipe bomb. And, but, right, but he can't. Right, that that giant coke can of a lighter doesn't work for some reason. And Charlie's like, "We gotta go. We gotta get out of here." Uh, so he gets Charlie. He still has this trusty liquor bottle. And in a completion of his arc, I guess, he gives up the... He gives up booze. He gives up booze by uh, creating a Molotov cocktail, and he lights... So so Brad oh, yeah. does it, drop the pipe bomb into... There are moments in the movie where he, like, dabs his head several oh, times yeah, with a cloth. Yeah, yeah. And like, oh, that's where it's coming. Another set up. some payoffs, baby. But, yeah, Brad drops his pipe bomb, so he's like, fuck it, let's just go, and... 
the critters are going to come after them, but Charlie thinks quick and creates a Molotov cocktail, and as you mentioned, using his baseball skills. He's a major league prospect. He throws the Molotov cocktail into the ship. It lights it on fire. Meanwhile, they, they still take off. I guess that's enough to get him to take off. And in one of my very favorite moments from this movie, oh, which there are many, they are flying off. They take a pause right above the house, and for no reason, they just go, ha, ha, and they press a button and shoot a laser and Independence Day style explode the fucking farmhouse. Like, destroy this it. This house is not, it's completely destroyed. It's, I mean, it's a full-size house that they built for the thing. And it lo- I mean, they're not scaling this down. No, it was an awesome explosion. Mm-hmm. It was like a Terminator 2 level explosion. And then when the ship blows up, there is a second explosion that looks like it has surpassed the explosion of the house. Yeah. It's just... It's, they had to have a lot of fire crews there that It's night. awesome. But yeah, so because of Charlie's Molotov cocktail, it lights the fuse on the pipe bomb that the kid made and was planning on taking to school and blowing up a school. Luckily, it blew up the critters. They're dead. The end. It, it ends or at is night. It? And Dee Wallace is sobbing over her, her house and her her life that she has known being destroyed. Yeah. And then it goes to daytime. Yeah. Magically daytime and Harv drives them up to their destroyed house. <laughs> yeah. I don't know well, where they went. Maybe they went and like got some rest at a hotel and then came back. Brad says bye to the bounty hunters. Right. And um, they don't say anything. They give them an, a Captain Marvel-esque intergalactic beeper. Oak smiles for the first time and, mm-hmm. and gives them the, the beeper. And as they're walking off, Charlie goes, hey, you guys need a mechanic for your guns? That's the only mention of Charlie following them, by the right. way. And spoiler, in two, Charlie is with them this entire time. For right. Years. They drive back home in the morning, and the house is destroyed. They're crying over it. And Brad's Captain Marvel beeper is going crazy. And so he looks at it, and he pushes a button. Doesn't know, I don't know how he knows which button. He pushes it, mm-hmm. and you start seeing... The debris getting sucked back in, like reverse poltergeist. The, the debris of the house being sucked in, like flipping over the mailboxes coming back in. The cat is being dragged into the house. And the house is rebuilding itself from this space technology. And there's a beautiful home. Yeah, and, there it is. Pristine. And you hear, As if the critters uh, never arrived. A meowing from the mailbox and Chewie is inside the it's, mailbox. Yeah. So really, like, the family's still together. They didn't lose their house. And let's see, the uh, the only real ramifications of this, other than shared trauma between the family, is the dad will probably never work again. And Steve died on his birthday. Well, who cares about Steve? Did his you see family. that license plate? Oh, well, yeah. Jeff had no family. Jeff was hitting on the, the receptionist on the, yeah. the, thing the whole time. She was like, no. R.I.P. Steve. You died as you lived, making out with some chick in a barn. You're going to take that nice boat off to um, the elven heavens. Right. <laughs> Actually, don't get on that boat. El- Hobbits, don't get on that boat with Billy Zane. It's going to... Oh, yeah, definitely don't get on the boat, because that boat is going under. Um, so, yeah, and then we are left with the family saying, Wow, we Our house is back. Yeah. Everything's fine, I guess. But everything is not fine. Harv tips his cap, the sheriff, and drives off, and the camera the camera evil deads over to the chicken coop where we once saw the ultimate warrior critter and what are there among the chicken eggs but three critter eggs we see one shake we hear a critter laugh and we cut to black setting up a sequel which obviously this is quite a franchise but this movie is awesome i enjoyed the shit out of it and not and one of two endings by the way Oh, yeah, you sent me this other alternate ending, which was a little bit more bleak. Yeah, they go back to the house and the alternate ending, and they don't get to um, suck the house back into normal shape. It's just all debris, and so they all get back in the car with Harv and leave, and the camera evil deads 
over burnt teddy bears and destroyed house and then you see the eggs again the egg shakes and instead of a laugh you see the subtitle go i'm hungry then cut to black which one the shot leading up to the eggs was way too long the like tracking shot showing the devastation yeah but it still it was like what are we doing here and it was like i said much more bleak Mm-hmm. where they just showed up to the house the only thing that they got out of showing back up to the house was Chewie is alive and then they're all they all solemnly get back into the police car and drive away in the alternate there's a nice look at, at d wallace where she's like you know what i'm ready to move on she kind of picks up the cat and is like okay let's get out of here family. yeah let's go somewhere else yeah which she realizes you know a house is not a home it's the people in it the family, the family. that makes the home you know a theme that runs through the fast and furious franchise of oh. family I don't have friends, I have family, a quarter mile at a time. But, yeah, no, I mean, I think that, in all honesty, like, this movie is great. D. Wallace is phenomenal mm-hmm. in it. And a pretty underwritten, thankless part. I feel like she did a lot with yeah. it. The sister is also great. I loved her. The uh, only thing I saw that she was in on IMDb was Munchies, which is... Oh, man, which is another, like, creature feature. Yeah. Oh, that's great. I'm so happy for her. I hope she's had a great life beyond she that. Pro- she writes and produces a Nickelodeon show now. Oh, shit, there you go. A lot of a lot of child actors. I mean, technically, I guess she was a child at this time. Maybe, maybe not. She may have been 18. Yeah. A lot of child actors do go into production and learn directing or mm-hmm. producing, so good for her. Yeah. I just love the, I love the reality of the family together. Obviously, I love the performances of everybody. They really coalesce well. Some of the stuff in the town is a little too broad for my taste. That's where you get the like the caricatures is with the town. Yeah. But beside that, the family itself is wonderful. Uh, what it does better than Gremlins is because it didn't have the budget that Gremlins had to use like sound stages and all these, you know, bigger bits. They had to use realistic locations. So they had to use that farm for all it could be used for and, and keep it there to keep you invested instead of going across the town and using like a street scene in a, on a sound stage. And yeah. it, it didn't feel as you mentioned at the end of um, Incredible Hulk with Edward Norton, how that that looked like a set. Yeah, like that that destroyed um, Brooklyn or whatever it looked right. It looked Harlem. awful. Look, yeah, destroyed Harlem. Looked awful. It looked it looked fake. And a lot of what I see in um, in Gremlins, it looks like it's not real. It's like it's built fake. And so what I liked about this is it looked more realistic. Yeah, in Gremlins too. There were some realistic moments outside of of the of the building. Yeah, they were, you know, you used like the, the neighborhoods and stuff. The tree, telephone, whatever. Yeah, but it, yeah, even the alleyway was very much like this is little little shop alleyway yeah. where it's. It's a set. And at one point, I thought that maybe the entire thing was going to take place just at the farm. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, when the critters started attacking, I was like, holy shit, is this going to basically be, other than cutting to the police station one or two times, is this going to be mostly just on this farm? And they do build the world out a little bit in, in small ways. But yeah, it's just like tactile, real. Uh, yeah. The critters themselves are all real. There's very little visual effects. I think there were some uh, directorial choices that were really smart in this. Mm. I think there were a couple of weird uh, camera moves here and there that it feels like a director kind of figuring out his craft. Mm-hmm. Um, there was one in particular where the daughter sits down at the table in the morning. She like gets off the phone and it's kind of behind her and it tracks with her and sits mm-hmm. down and settles and it's a shot of the dad like an over the shoulder and then the dad takes a couple seconds and he says his line. That was like a weird shot. That is like 
a kind of shot that you get but don't normally use in an edit. Like, you'll use the the shot of the dad. You'll use the single of the dad, but not the move itself. Yeah. It just felt like a weird choice. But kind of, I don't know, the whole movie's a little odd like that. So it kind of just added to the oddity of the film as a whole. There's a lot of, like, shots from certain point of views like when brad's looking out the window and you see charlie way down there it doesn't cut to charlie saying i'll be home oh i'm going going home for the night it's mm-hmm. like from brad's point of view they use a lot in the chase scene um where she's chasing her brother through the actual house they show all the house it's like almost a one take where they come in one door and then they come in through the side they meet it's oh yeah i love that shot really that was nice. great it's some really good stuff in there obviously the director would go on to many more great movies yeah. so uh there's a lot of talent there and i think it was just like this unbridled enthusiasm in the entire movie. It was just like you could tell everybody on set was excited to be doing what they're doing. And that plays through the whole movie that is infectious. Like I felt it sitting by myself watching this last night. I was just like excited. I was like, this is fun. This is great. I'm really enjoying this. Obviously, I'm a big monster fan, and these are some of my favorite monsters of all time. They're funny. They're weird. They have personality. Like, you don't get that a lot, and they're so unique. They're so unique. And the language thing is another thing. Gremlins can laugh with each other, but they don't really, you don't see them speaking to each other. You have. If they speak, they speak like broken English, basically. And you have George, the, um, whatever it was. The um the old gremlin mm-hmm. with a cigar who was able to talk. And oh, wanted... you mean the brain brainy gremlin from the second one? Yeah, that's the only time. Or the one that sings New York, New York. Yeah, yeah well, the same one. Yeah. Same one. But no, they they say like occasionally they'll say like a word of English here and there. But this is like yeah, the critters have their own communication, their own language. They're yeah, they have uh they have smarts, they have tactics. I really like that about it. And uh, another thing I really like is that this movie is just like lean and mean. Mm-hmm. Not a lot of fat on it. I mean, sure, like, the Bounty Hunter story isn't totally needed. Some of their side quests of going to the bowling alley, going to the church, it's just entertaining. But in terms of the family, like, they just keep it small, and I really appreciate that. There's a charm to it that it loses in the second one when they try to make it much bigger. Mm -hmm. You can see there's a, a studio that wants to add more gags to the second one. They don't spend too much time trying to add jokes or add things that aren't really needed. The, the Bounty Hunter stuff is nice because it kind of t- takes away from being trapped in that house for yeah. the entire movie. Yeah. And you follow somebody else. You follow another character. It, it's You have it, to break up the tension right. in any story, mm-hmm. uh, especially a horror movie. You need those. You need that release valve every once in a while. You can't and have since them most... run and trap themselves in the bedroom, then run trap themselves in another room for... 86 minutes right exactly and you need that because every time we go to one of the bounty hunter scenes it's usually something a little bit more comedic so it is that release valve that pressure release that uh lets us like catch our breath before the very real thanks to d wallace trauma and terror of this what this family is going through so and the humor that comes out of those moments um aren't taking you away from the rest of the movie um and two it, it takes you out when it's yeah when it when lee wants to transform into freddy krueger and it's like this is a joke because it's new line but when they're in the bar scene it's like this is if bounty hunters and term like a terminator feel to it but it's still right. funny because they're lifting a guy off his feet there's a western playing on tv and they're walking through western doors into the bar right it's just very little like humor it's like oh yeah golf clap it's a little it's a little bit more well thought out yeah. so i think it's great and so do you, obviously. I do. I, I rag on the third one and the fourth one because they're not as good as the first one and the second one, but they're all great. Fourth, yeah. The fourth one, it's weird because they go into this Whalen Company kind of um, subplot of Ugg trying to keep the critter eggs for some corporate version. Mm, yeah. It's stupid. And two is all about gags and 
three is just a setup for four because they filmed them back to back. But yeah. it's it's a nice little world that they've created and it's it's good to see that they didn't aside from two try to go too much into like a, a cleaner, crisper Gremlins world. And they're all very distinctive. I highly recommend anybody if you're gonna watch Critters One just go ahead and at least watch the first two together. They're a nice double feature. Mm-hmm. And if you want to see Leonardo DiCaprio, little baby Leo, uh, jumping in there before you watch Once Upon a Time in Hollywood this summer, go check out Critters 3. It's definitely his finest performance. He should have won an Oscar for that and not The Revenant. Well, if, if, the, critter, if the bear was a critter, <laughs> then I would have been way more interested in that movie. But what did you folks think? Did you think that Critters was ugly or did it leave you hungry for more? Let us know. How can you let us know? You can email us, hwigpodcast at gmail.com, or you can hit us up on Twitter or Instagram, at hwigpodcast. And don't forget about our wonderful Facebook account, facebook.com backslash hwigpodcast. Hit us up. Let us know what you thought of the episode, what you think of Critters, and of course... Let us know what you hate so we can tell you why it's great. Tyler, it's been really fun having you on. Uh, is there anything you want to plug while you're on here? Um, I, I'm not really big on um, social media, but you can follow Lauren's uh, Etsy store, Bookvelopes, B-O-O-K-V-E-L-O-P-E-S. It's, um, she sells a variety of different um, fabrics and very soft envelopes that you can put your book in. They snap closed so you can keep them safe. You do books, bigger books, um, iPads, uh, and she has a whole bunch of stuff. It's a really good store and we get a lot of... Um, Get a lot of success with it at fairs and people love them so check out bookfulopes.etsy.com i i can actually speak to the quality of them i have a couple myself i uh, carry them around anytime i travel i like to bring a bookfulope along to carry whatever i'm reading at the time or to carry my ipad she's got like a ton of different like geeky patterns that she does i know she made a great westworld one uh, i have a one for uh hawkeye uh, not my favorite Avenger, but it's a purple pattern with white arrows on it. Uh, I also have a Star Wars one, and um, I have a larger one and a smaller one, and they're both great. Very high quality work. She also um, does custom. If you have a fabric laying around that you don't know what to do with, you're like, oh, I want to get a, a nice little soft cushion for a bookvelope and just send it her way. Yeah, so go check out bookvelopes, everybody. They are definitely worth a look. Tyler, thanks again for coming on. It's been great to have you. Critters, one of our favorites. A good memory between both of us, you know, yes. back when we lived together and would watch all four of these movies. Obviously, you've got the Critter here. you got the Critter shirt on. You are a true fan of the series, right. so it was great to have you on and to get a little bit of insight in this. But it was fun. It was, it's nice, like, finally being on the other side of the microphone as opposed to the other side of the headphones. Yes, yes, absolutely. We're going to have to have you on again for sure. Um, but until that day comes, I'm John Bring. I'm Tyler. And here's why it's great. It's great.